I just want to start this morning by saying thank you to those of you who sent emails and text messages and phone calls and dropped off meals at our home while I was in the midst of the quarantine for the last 14 days. Thankfully for me, my family, we did not get COVID-19. Uh, I feel like my, the last couple of months for me has been preached, quarantine, preached. So let's hope that I don't go back into quarantine this week. But I would ask that you be praying for Hunter, Joy, baby Judah as they continue to, to fight this sickness or this illness. Um, I also want to let you know Aaron Bryant, our campus and teaching pastor, is at the Brentwood campus, about eight and a half miles down that way. He is preaching for Mike Glenn this morning. So I would ask that you be praying for him as you think about him over the course of the morning. If you joined us last week, then you know we are in the middle of a vision sermon series. And I want to put an image back up here on the screen. Aaron unpacked this a little bit last week, um, but in case you weren't here, let me give you a a brief kind of overview. This is what we're calling a flywheel, pinwheel. It's our new DXD, Disciple Making Disciples strategy. And one of the most common questions that I get in our Discover classes, our mission and vision class, is this. As a member of the Church of Avenue South, what is my expectation? As a member of the Church of Avenue South... What do you expect of me? And the answer is found in that image. Can we put that back up there again? We saw last week where both our campus and teaching pastor Aaron and Mike said that every member at the church at Avenue South is expected to be in a group. Whether it's a Bible reading group, a life group, a mental relationship, we want you in community with one another. Every member of the church at Avenue South is expected to be engaged in gospel conversations in the places where you live, work, and play. What do we mean by gospel conversation? Well, that definition is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost and searching and then trusting the Holy Spirit with the results. We want you to be praying for gospel conversations. And then finally, every member of the church at Avenue South is expected to be on mission. You heard Hannah talk about it earlier, to be on mission and to go. So what I want to do this morning is to spend our time talking about what does it mean to go? What does it mean to be on mission? If you have your Bibles, uh, if, you, if you'll go ahead and grab those at home, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and I'd ask that you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read. It'll be on the screen here if you want to follow along. The Apostle Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, may you open our ears and our eyes to what you would have us 
hear and listen to this morning. May we all be able to walk out of here this morning to be be able to understand our mission and to understand that you have given us the great command to go out to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel message in the places where we live, work, and play. In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So before I jump into this passage, one of the things I always like to do when I preach is to kind of give you some context. I'm a big context person, so let's do that. So the author of this letter is Paul. Now, who is Paul? Paul is a Roman citizen. He's a former persecutor of Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul on the road to Damascus. He sees a bright light. He receives a vision from the Lord. And then right there on that day, the Lord calls Paul to leave his old life. He selects him and ordains him for ministry. So Paul spends the rest of his adult life traveling around Asia, starting churches and preaching, proclaiming the gospel message to the Gentile people. Now, one of those churches that he starts is the church at Ephesus. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus from his prison cell in Rome. Now, here's what I want you to know about Ephesus. Ephesus is kind of like the epicenter of Asia. It's not only the religious center of Asia. Why? Well, it houses the great temple of Artemis, who is Zeus's daughter. She's the supposed god of childbirth. So hundreds upon thousands of people would travel to Ephesus each and every year to worship and celebrate Artemis. But it was also the banking capital of Asia. It, 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 it housed the, the bank of Asia where people like me and you, your, your companies, uh, individuals would travel to the bank of Asia to apply for loans. So Paul says, listen here, church at Ephesus. This is what I want you to know. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in your profession. It's not found in, in your family, in relationships. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, I want you to understand that you play a very vital role in the church. You are to be on mission, and you are to engage the pagan culture around you. And then he gives them some very specific instructions on how to do that. So I want you to look with me again in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So what's Paul doing here? He begins by saying that every Christ follower has been given certain spiritual gifts for ministry. And that means, Church at Avenue South, if you're sitting here this morning, if you are a Christ follower, God has given you spiritual gifts to be used for ministry. Now, this is not a comprehensive list of all the spiritual gifts, You can go to 1 Corinthians 12 and you can find that list. And I would encourage you this week to flip over there, spend some time reading 1 Corinthians 12. But rather, Paul spends his time in this passage focusing on the spiritual gifts of church leaders. And so for you and I to understand our role in the church, to understand what my role, Hunter's role, Aaron's role, Alex's role, Ronnie's role, anyone who is in vocational ministry, we need to define each one of those terms. Right? We need to do some deconstructing and some reconstructing. So think about this. Look at the first term there, apostles. What does Paul mean by apostle? Well, that term in Greek, the original language is this. It's apostolos. It means sent one or messenger. And it refers to those that God divinely selected and ordained for the purpose of building the church. 
When you and I think about the term apostle, we think about maybe the, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, those young men, teenage boys that Jesus called to, to follow him for three years. And then he gave them command to go out to be on mission to, to the rest of the world. But it also includes the apostle Paul. So an apostle is someone who, has an eye, who was an eyewitness to the teaching ministry of Jesus, his resurrection... It was someone who had been given authority by the Lord to, to perform great signs and wonders like casting out demons and, and, and healing men and women that were sick and then had been given the authority, hear me say this, to author or write scripture. This is a foundational gift, meaning this gift was given to the church to help lay the foundation of the church. So here's my question to you. There's a lot of debate about this today. Are there modern-day apostles? Are there modern-day apostles? Does the gift of apostles still exist today? Well, the answer to that question is no. The answer to that question is no. Why? Well, I just gave you the criteria, and we see that in the New Testament. To my knowledge, in 2020, there is not one man, one woman, one individual who was an eyewitness to the teaching ministry and resurrection of Jesus... They were not given authority by the Lord to cast out demons and to heal in spite of what you may see or hear on television or on the radio. And they certainly were not given the authority to write scripture. So this is a foundational gift that no longer exists. Look at the second gift. Prophets. What do we mean by the term prophet? Well, a prophet, it was God's mouthpiece. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's someone who was gifted in communicating truth and expounding upon revelation. So a prophet would receive a word from the Lord. They would go to that individual and communicate it. And we see that the role they played was not only being a communicator of truth, but oftentimes, yes, they could predict the future. We call that foretelling. Sometimes they would foretell. Uh, and foretell, but also they would what? They would edify, they would encourage, and they would teach sound biblical doctrine. A, the gift of prophets or prophecy is a foundational gift. It no longer exists. And I know this is up for debate. There's a lot of discussion out there in churches and among scholars. But the gift of prophecy no longer exists. And here's why I would tell you. A prophet's main role was to communicate truth. It was to communicate truth. You and I, in 2020, have the full complement of Scripture before us. If we want to understand and we want to know what truth is, where do we go? God's Word. You see, in the Old and New Testament, when you have people like Agabus and Joel and Micah and Nahum, these men did not have the New Testament canon. In 2020, the canonization of Scripture is complete. We don't need men and women to tell us what truth is because we can simply go to God's Word to figure out what God's will is for our life and what plans He has for us. Okay, so the first two gifts we see are foundational, meaning they don't exist anymore, and they were used to build the foundation of the church. Apostles, prophets. Look at the third. Evangelist. What does Paul mean by evangelist? Well, if a prophet and an apostle gave the word of God, then an evangelist's role was to proclaim the word of God. Now, hear me say this. All of us in this room, if you are a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, 
your mission is to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel message, okay? But Paul is referring to those who have the specific spiritual gift of evangelism. And most studies show that this gift only exists in about 10% of Christ's followers. So most of us in this room will not have this, this gift. But it's men, women, individuals who are gifted with communicating God's word to different people groups. And the, and the evangelist for me that came to mind was who? Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. Everyone knows who Billy Graham is. Ann Graham Lotz, his wife. You think about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Missionaries can fit into this category. You think about George Whitfield, John Wesley. And if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church like me, in the summer, what our church did is they would have a big tent revival. You know what I'm talking about? A big tent revival. You would literally put up a big tent on the, the church property and your pastor would invite an evangelist, someone who was gifted in communicating God's word, biblical truth, to come in and preach revival. And all you heard for seven days was hellfire and brimstone, right? That's what Paul is talking about here. Someone who has the gift of evangelism. Look at the fourth gift here. Shepherds and teachers. Now, this is one gift, and we know that because they're linked together by that single article there. But these are individuals who have been ordained by God to full-time vocational ministry. So this is our ministerial staff. The, the, the greatest example of this is who? It's our Camison teaching pastor, Aaron Bryant. Someone who was called, set apart by God for the teaching and preaching. That term shepherd there in Greek really refers to someone who is not only caring for a flock or protecting a flock, but it's, it is feeding the flock through the teaching of the word. That's Aaron's primary responsibility. So four gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teacher. Now, to my knowledge, most of us in this room will not fit into those categories, will not have those gifts. So here's what Paul does. He defines gifts of church leaders, and then he says... Church members, here's your role. So look, look here in verse 12. When I was in seminary, my professor said, if you are called to full-time vocational ministry, this is your job description. So Paul gives the job description of church leaders, those that have these gifts. Look there in verse 12. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So at first glance, what do we see here as the role of church leaders? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, build up community. So it looks like the, the role, my role, Aaron's role, our, our, our team, our staff's role is twofold. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, build up the community. But I want you to know that's not right. We call this passage the heresy of the comma. And here's what I mean by that. In English, I want you to look there again. Do you see the clean breaks there in between? Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, comma. Build up the community, comma. In the Greek syntax, the original language, there is no comma. So it reads as one sentence. Now, I want you to understand this. There are churches built upon this idea of the heresy of the comma. I'm going to explain that in a minute, but just go with me. Let me read to you this sentence without the commas, okay? Verse 12. So Paul says, 
the gifts of church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, their role is this. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building of the community. So do you see how the lack of a comma or the comma in this passage changes everything? Which means what? What's Paul saying here? My role, our church's staff's role is what? Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for building up the community. One job. Equip you saints, you Christ followers, to be on mission for Christ. What do we mean by equip? Well, that term means to make mature or to help someone uh, progress towards completion. It's the idea of resetting a broken bone or a limb. So my responsibility to you as a minister, as a pastor, is to help you mature in Christ. That's it. That's it. And, and I told you, like, I've seen churches built on this idea of the heresy of the common. Here's what I mean by that. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where the pastor preached 52 Sundays a year. He went on every mission journey. He was at every serving Saturday. He made every hospital visit. He taught multiple small groups. He was at every men's event, every women's event, every student event, and every children's event. He did everything. And Paul says, no, that's not a pastor's role. A pastor's role is to help you find your gifts to equip you to be on mission and you do the work of the ministry. You said, you see, Mike said last week, Aaron said last week, every member of Church Avenue South is expected to be on mission. So hear me say this. I'm not called to the ministry any more than you're called to the ministry. I'm not called to use my gifts any more than you're called to use your gifts. I'm not called to follow Christ any more than you're called to follow Christ. Now, I'm not downplaying my role. But I want you to understand you play a vital role in the church. You are to be about the business of ministry. So what Paul is saying here is once you, church... Discover your spiritual gift. You are to be serving in your gifting. Let me say that again. Once you discover your spiritual gift, you are to be on mission and serving in your gifting. Now, I want to put this flywheel back up on the screen because I'm about to define go for you. And I want you to write down this definition of going. Here's your expectation as a church member. Going means this. Let me put the definition up there. Going means that every member is uniquely called to be on mission using your gifts to serve locally, nationally, and globally to help others mature in Christ. Let me say that again. Every member is uniquely called to be on mission and use your gifts to serve locally, nationally, and globally to help others mature in Christ. Now, you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, Matthew, I hear you. Paul talks about gift of church leaders, their role. He wants us to use our gifts to be on mission. But where do you give locally, nationally, and globally? Because it's not in this passage. Well, Hannah just, Hannah just shared with us in Matthew 28. We see it there. But we also see it in Acts 1.8. When Jesus is standing before his disciples, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. He gives them one command. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, you are to be on mission locally, nationally, and globally. So here's what being on mission means. Being on mission, church, means that if you have the gift of teaching or leadership, 
you need to be leading a group. Whether that's a life group, a Bible reading group, you need to be a mentor. Like Aaron said last week, I think, Mitch, like we, we've seen a, a large number of people sign up to be mentors and be part of our mentor relationships. So if you have that gift, we want you walking with these men and women, encouraging them, teaching them, showing, revealing, illuminating God's word in their life. Being on mission means that if you have the gift of hospitality or helps, what you, we want you to be part of our guest services team, our deacon teams. We want you serving as a greeter, as a parking lot greeter, as a connector. And hopefully when we get to serve coffee again, you can be part of our hospitality team. Being on mission means, church, that if you have the gift of encouragement or helps, we want you part of our prayer team, our nurture team, so that you can help write notes of encouragement and pray for men and women that are in really difficult seasons. Being on mission means that if you're passionate about reaching like Rebecca was saying earlier, boys and girls, teaching them the gospel. We want you serving in our next-gen ministries. We started worship care this morning. We need leaders to show the love of Jesus to those boys and girls. We'll be phasing in the rest of our elementary age students over the next several months. We need teachers who love Jesus and love children. Some of you are sitting here thinking, I hear you. I get it. I'm supposed to be on mission, but I don't know what, what my gifts are. I, I, I don't know what my passions, my strengths, and abilities. You know what? Here's what I would tell you. Don't use that as an excuse any longer for not to serve. Because on November 8th, in this worship center, we have a place class. That class is desi designed for you to understand your gifting, your passions, your strength, your abilities. And then we put you with a place coach who will walk with you so that you can find your place in this church to serve in your gifting. November the 8th at 1245, we'll be socially distant in this room. We'll also provide a live streaming option. Be a part of that class. So maybe being on mission with you starts as soon as I'm done here. Registering and signing up for that class to determine how you're wired. But for a lot of you, and I've had conversations with you, you know your gifting, you know your talents, you know your abilities, but you come in every single Sunday and you sit on it. It's being disobedient. My encouragement to you is to be obedient. Be on mission. Discover your gifts and serve locally, nationally, and globally. Maybe for you, being on mission means... That this week you have an hour to give and you come and serve in our food pantry upstairs. You help us address food insecurity by packing 240 food bags for the children at Carter Lawrence. Maybe being on mission for you means you become a virtual mentor at Carter Lawrence. Yes, we're not allowed on campus, but I've been told by the head of school that outside of food, the biggest need they have is children want to see people's faces and they want to know that they're valued and they're loved. You can show up for one hour a week on a Zoom call with a child at Carter Lawrence and tell them, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. You can send them a note of encouragement. Maybe being on mission means that this coming Thursday, you give our, our church 30 minutes of your time and you distribute 
240 bags to the students and families in Edge Hill and Carter Lawrence. Go from door to door, knocking on doors, saying, we want to bless you with this. Maybe being on mission for you is you start now putting $20 a month, a week, aside so that you can go on an international mission journey next year. Listen, my story is this. In 2007, I went on a mission journey. Ministry wasn't even on my radar, and the Holy Spirit wrecked my life. I would never be where I am today if it wasn't for that experience. Maybe for you, being on mission says, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone, and when we get on the other side of COVID-19, I'm going to go across the world for seven days with people I don't know, and I'm going to serve. We're sending teams to Athens, Greece, Tel Aviv, Israel, Cape Town, South Africa, Belize, Guatemala City, Guatemala. You can pretty much pick the place that you want to go. We're sending teams to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Church, hear me say this. It's not just an expectation of a church member of Avenue South to be on mission. It's an expectation of every Christ follower. Now, I want to close with this. As Hannah said earlier, I don't want you to take my word for this, but I want you to see again this idea of how you're using your gifts to be on mission. I want you to flip over to 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10. Because we're going to see that Peter emphasizes, re-emphasizes this idea. Here's what it says. It's on the screen. Just as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. Peter says, you have a gift, you need to use it to serve others. When Peter writes this passage, he's reflecting on the ministry of Jesus. And I'm going to close with this story. Peter is thinking back to the day, to the time, the hour that he and the disciples are celebrating the Passover feast. It's Jesus' last night with all of his disciples. Peter's thinking about, he's sitting at the table with his closest friends, with the great rabbi Jesus. They're eating, drinking, and fellowshipping. And then there's an argument. The argument is this. Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How can I sit at your right hand? And they start bickering and they start fighting. Here's what Jesus does. He gets up from the table. He walks over to the wash basin. He puts a towel around his waist. And he bends down and he begins to wash the smelly, stinky, nasty feet of his disciples. Jesus could have spent those last moments doing anything. But he spent it washing the feet of teenage boys. Why? What Jesus is doing, this is an object lesson in service and humility. He says, church at Avenue South, do you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Church at Avenue South, you want to be on mission Church at Avenue South, do you want to be like me, Jesus? Then you are called to live a lifestyle that embodies servanthood. You are to wash feet.
you are to wash one another's feet, which means you are to use your gifts to serve locally, nationally, and globally, helping others mature in Christ. And here's what I love about Jesus. He tells the disciples, he says, look, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Your expectation as a member, as a Christ follower, is to be on mission, using your gifts to serve locally, nationally, and globally. Let's pray.